I would co- I go cook all day, study or whatever, and then jump in the studio. And I noticed it was therapy for me outside of the kitchen. Like it calmed me down. Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise. Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. Life experiences definitely influence artists. Say, for instance, you work in restaurants your whole life. You did the Michelin star chef thing. You might be a pit master at a barbecue spot. You might be on the show top chef. All that stuff, the discipline, the experience, the people, the materials, all that stuff will find its way into your paintings and drawings. Roscoe Hall did all that and along the way made room for his art. The whole time, hustling up that thing, staying connected, staying grounded. Now he's showing artwork at the Dallas Art Fair with Scott Miller Projects and is basically following two passions. It's very interesting how those two things overlap and mix together. Now, <laughs> now your boy, Jay Bob, I'm not trying to kill y'all with these cooking puns. Like I, I can say like he's cooking up some great art. Was art is like a gumbo. <laughs> do y'all like that? I ain't gonna do y'all like that. And I, I'm gonna make this episode great without all these cheap chef jokes <laughs> that we got going on. That's not what y'all came for. And so me and Roscoe, we talk about artistic growth. We talk about materials, art versus food. And we got a good, had a good time on this episode. Roscoe's a great man. He, and he's a good listener, avid listener to the podcast. Big shout out to Roscoe. I know you're listening to this right now, man. You made it, man. You all the noise, baby. <laughs> it's the noise. Studio noise, the voice of black art, bringing you the best in black contemporary art studionoisepodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud. Listen and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast right now. Share it with your people. Now, if you really like it, you should join the Patreon. Donate a couple of dollars to your boy. That link is in the show notes. All the money that you give helps keep this thing going on. And, you know, I sure do appreciate it if nobody else do. <laughs> At least you get new episodes every week, every Tuesday to listen to, bringing you the best in black art all times, always. And a big archive of people you can listen to, too. So it's all good. So this is new. This this weekend, grand opening of the Black Art in America Gallery out in East Point. We'll give y'all the address. It's 1802 Connolly Drive East, East Point, Georgia. On episode 138, we talked to the neighborhood people. And kind of at the beginning, in anticipation of this thing opening up, yo. And now it's here. It's opening Juneteenth weekend, June 17th, 18th, and 19th. They got events going on all weekend, special panels on Saturday, including one with your boy Jay Barber discussing black art and media. I think that'll be a great one. Of course, <laughs> that's how I'll be there, of course. But they got panels on collecting. They got murals by the Studio Noise fam, Charmaine Minifield and Fabian Williams. But got to get them both back on the podcast. And I talked to Najee about some of the plans he got going on. It's going to be amazing. Absolutely. Check it out. It's all kinds of stuff. It's art. It's fun. It's, it's drinks. It's panels. It's, it's it's all types of stuff. Yo, y'all just gotta come out and see it. Support that stuff. And I think that's gonna be a big big draw for us down here in the Atlanta area. Whenever you can create a space for Black art, it's absolutely amazing. So you know your boy Studio Noise, the voice of Black art, is gonna be there and support it. 
blackartamerica.com. You can see all the, all the list of panels and everything they got going on. And make sure you go check it out. Make sure you check it out, Joe. Yo. You got to come support the fam for sure. And so I know I'm going to see you there this weekend. But right now, whoever you're going with to buy a gallery opening this weekend, Juneteenth, go ahead and text them this interview right here. Go ahead and text them right now. Tell them it's the noise, baby. And we back right after the break. We got the one and only Roscoe Hall on the noise, baby. Yes. This is Glenn Lutz. I'm a conceptual artist, and you're listening to Studio Noise. Yes, it's Studio Noise, the voice of Black Art. Your boy Jay Barber back with you again. Got a great guest on the show this time. My man, longtime listener to the podcast, too. That's how I got to know him. We talked to Roscoe yeah. Hall. How you doing, man? Good. How are you, Jamal? I'm chilling, man. I'm chilling, yo. Good to talk to you finally after all this time. Oh, man. Thank you so much. This is a, this is a blessing in disguise, but not disguise. I'm so, <laughs> I can't believe I got to, like, we got to kick it. Like, last was that last? No, it was a few months ago. Right? Yeah, a few months ago. Yeah. That was smooth. Coffee, <laughs> Stanford Christians everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it, yo. That's what's up, yo. And so people don't know, it's it's Roscoe Hall. You can find him on Instagram at Artistic Memphis. Artistic Misfits. And your work is represented right now by Scott Miller Projects. Uh, the man is, is doing all kinds of stuff, but some of y'all may already know who Roscoe is if you watch Top Chef. So Roscoe was on Top Chef, and now he's doing art, man. Well, t- um. On there briefly, uh, briefly. <laughs> but she was there though. Like you go yeah, to, the, yeah, you go to the Top Chef website. They got to put your picture up there. So, so. Oh, they have to. <laughs> they, you know, they know I'm, I feel like I paved the way for us a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I showed my age on that show. Trust me. Oh, no, yo, it's all good though, man. So, uh, I think you you have a fascinating stories. So many ways we can approach this conversation. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about the chef stuff and all that stuff. But the, the one thing that I find super interesting about you and, and your artwork is your descriptions for your material. So, we, you know, we're going to get into all the other stuff, man. But I want to start right here. All right. We got a piece called 31 Flavors. You did it in 20, yeah. 2022. The material is this as follows. Cotton, acrylic, ink, denim, rayon, paper towels, pastels, and, and Dixia Hybrid kombucha fear truth confusion compassion and hope and also tons of house must on canvas man if that ain't the greatest materials this of any piece i've seen in a long time man that's some leonardo drew type stuff man yo you you killing them right now man well how'd you how'd you come up with doing this for your painters man i mean that piece was um i showed that at the dallas art fair last month i think that was last month and that was the piece about Officer Geiger and Botham John. And I'd never, to be honest, I'd never really painted white faces before. I've avoided it. Really never had a use to do it, to tell you the truth. But she was a white officer who, who not accidentally, I don't know what happened, but she killed uh, Botham John. Well, I thought she was going to her apartment, and she shot him while he was eating ice cream. Yeah. Which infuses the title 31 Flavors. But 
I didn't realize how many tones and colors it takes to get that perfect pink flesh hue out of white skin. And it threw me off. And normally in my work, I work off paper towels so you can get like a, you know how a lot of faces, all of our faces have that, our skin have those little bumps in them. Yeah. Pores and stuff. So once yeah. you hit it with paint, like all the pores, yeah, yeah. When you hit it with paint, they bring it out a lot with paper towels. And then the denim I use for more abstraction of the face to like give you, I'm a texture freak. I'm a chef. Like we're, we, we're, we're texture freaks, like honestly. But in the indica hybrid, I mean, I smoke a lot of weed is what I do. <laughs> uh, it's just who I am. Anybody who knows me, they know about this life. Um, I mean, I'm out here living at foul or anything. I'm just doing what I do. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm a dad. I got my stuff together. I got my stuff together. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it ain't always, huh? <laughs> it ain't always. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm out here like three hours a day. That's about it. <laughs> but those materials and those titles, I list them off as ingredient lists, like I would a recipe. Mm, I like that. So it flows like that for me. Like everything I do has like a long ingredient list. It goes through what I was feeling, what I was drinking, what I was smoking, what I was listening to, and all textures used. I mean, I I use paint with a lot of food like products. Like I use turmeric for certain Criella ochre. I I tally all my canvases with wheat paste, um, so that's flour and water before I tack them because I can. When I put all my textures on top of that, I know it'll glue on. Um, like we use wheat paste in the streets, so you can use the same way on canvas. Like I don't know, we take from a little bit of everywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, nah, that's dope, man. That's because that's talk about uh, building your own experience. You know what I mean? That's the, you ain't learn it out no book. Like this is. Like who you oh, are, no. like and that, that kind of authenticity, man. When we talk about, you know, uh, Clarence just talked about this kind of stuff, but uh, mm-hmm. having authenticity in your work, man, and that's who you are. Like the ingredient list, all that kind of, kind of the mm-hmm. combination of materials from your chef life to your art life, uh, they all blend together. It flows. I've never thought it would click. I've been trying to make them click, and in my head, it's like I need to do paintings about chefs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. Like, like I don't even paint pairs, bro. Like, I, I paint people. Like, right. whoever come out of my head, and you know, I reference. Honestly, I reference the black experience, like to a T. I do a lot of history. Like, I think about African Americans from when I was born up until now. Like, I just get caught up in. I'm really curious. I grew up in Chicago. I'm really curious about like that mid 70s through 85 when before crack that like really bad so when i go to start a piece that's what i'm studying like and there's a huge lost period in there that you don't know about as far as creativity goes i mean obviously music was banging like you had whip it baby you had all that like (laughs) at that time in chicago detroit we had house music so it was a different vibe but yeah it's just curiosity. Like I'm always Mr. Curious. I can't help it, dude. I can't help it. I love to see it though, because I think that that kind of well, I'm looking into this like this, where you have your uh, extreme proficiency with cooking already, right? I mean, you started off as as the story goes. You started off as a line cook, as a, as a dishwasher, then a line cook, and now 
like you are working in restaurants on executive chef and you're doing all that kind of stuff. Um, but at, at the same time you were excelling in that field, you also were continuing to do your artwork. Yeah. Like tell tell us about how that developed. Art was, I mean, I went, I started cooking when I was 17, um, and it was to pay for art school. But the only reason I really started cooking was because I knew I'd always have a meal. Because in fine dining restaurants, you have staff meal, and I knew I'd get paid. And I realized I could learn stuff. And then once I got in school at San Diego State, I was like, yo, I could probably get a job out in California because I know how to do a little bit in the kitchen. And sure enough, like, I would co- I'd go cook all day, study or whatever, and then jump in the studio. And I noticed it was therapy for me outside of the kitchen. Like, it calmed me down. And I made some horrible artwork back in the day. Like, just horrible. I was a Rasta at the time, so it was all, like, red, green, and gold, black. It was all, like, <laughs> ivory dreads everywhere. It was, like, it wasn't what it was today. <laughs> but one thing about cooking... And uh, cooking is really cool because it's all based off of your meats and plots and, like, prep, right? Mm-hmm. So when I transfer those skills to the studio, it's all about, like, me having my colors together, which I never really do, but ideally that's what I want. And you clear your head to go ahead and tackle a dish or a recipe. Like, you just got to know how to set it up. It's always repetition, so you're always looking for texture and color placement And when you plate food. So I treat the canvas the same way I would treat a plate, like, the merger of the two, now more than anything, the older I get, I can't handle this culinary world. Y'all out here acting like fools. I'm just, nobody wants to work. <laughs> Y'all treat me like I'm 22. I, I don't know what to do right now. So the art world is very enticing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it is, man. We need a break from, from running them restaurants, man. Running restaurants ain't no, ain't no easy gig now. I, I, no. that's how I got through school. I was a student manager at, at Dining Services at ECU. I was there. Oh, for real? Yeah, all around. I was in the in the cafeteria. I was in the center court at the at the um the juice bar over in the gym. I was I was oh, in no, I was about dude, a movie no. theater. I was yeah, I was everywhere, man. I was doing it. But you know, that's it's how rough. that's how you gotta do. You gotta gotta make it through. So it's like I, I find it interesting where I think back to those times a lot because I met a lot of genuine people. Like a lot mm-hmm. of the people that are back there serving, that's cooking, that's uh, yeah. the old ladies back that was in the kitchen. You all loved them, ladies. They were they were fantastic, always looking out. And mm-hmm. and I find that I had more genuine connections and understanding about blackness during that time in that space with those people. Um, yeah. Then then anywhere I I go, like you know, the yeah, connections are the same, but it's not it's it's not as easy. I don't know what how to describe it. No, I, I like that's the real talk because I'm I'm in an interracial marriage, interracial family, and like to me in a weird way that's tough now. I have kids, like I did it all throughout high school. It's whatever. I grew up like that, so it's like it wasn't that big of a deal. But now that I have kids, I have to like literally watch out and explain more to them and explain to my wife. So every day is like education. But luckily, like in the kitchen, you have Hispanics, African Americans, Jamaicans, like you know, people from everywhere and it, it, it daps me up culturally to where I can flow no matter where I go, like from New York to Oakland to Birmingham, Alabama, like I just got like a culture and I got a lot of influence on the regular basis. Like I run teams of thugs to like teams of like ex optometrists who 
are making their dad mad by <laughs> cooking. You know what I mean? And then you go the other way. Like I've worked in a lot of Michelin star, like fine dining, three star restaurants, and like all those people are artists. You know, like they they tackle food. We're talking like sketchbooks full of watercolors about dishes. And wow. Like, like the way we handle things, like Noma. You know, it's just I hang out with very intricate chefs who are like crazy, like whiplash crazy over like food <laughs> like but insanely talented you look at el bully in spain um that guy i think he had a show at moma of all of his sketchbooks of recipes and you know it, it's always been rooted like food and art they just go hand in hand like to a t yeah it's kind of creepy yeah and so you say you do, you go from the studio more as a rest from your restaurant stuff like Tell me what the different vibe is like when once you leave there and, and head to your space. Oh, I, I usually put on some reggae, you know, pop that thing. Loosen up, yeah. If if I close, which is normally the case, the kids are asleep, stay up to the wife, put on some more music, get my playlist set, and then just dive into whatever I got. But I do notice that when I get home, my brain's so flurry from dealing with customers and dishes, trying to make everything perfect, 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 that when I get in the studio, there's no more perfection to me. I'm just, I'm getting lost in that trance. Nice. And it, it really soothes me. And But when I step back, I know a completion. It's like, there's a saying that always says, you're only good as your last dish, which is total BS. Don't even get me started on what people, <laughs> why people say that. But I don't have that in the studio. Like, I know I'm not as, only as good as my last brush stroke. You know what I mean? Like, right. Or the last piece of paper towel I ripped off. Like, I know there's more, but I have to learn how to restrict myself. It's all about constraint. And I think with art, that's probably the hardest thing for me to do because I can keep going forever. You know? Yeah. And so back to some of the paintings let's talk about a piece in particular um, called norris and weems um oh. i really like this piece but i'm i'm approaching it as i'm thinking about how you're using the materials in it because it has like denim and the paper towels and all that stuff in it like tell me how you're building these images and how you're coming up with this stuff norris and weems the concept behind that it was part of the nine boys the scottsboro boys of alabama <clears throat> they were you know, jailed, some murdered for looking at a white lady back in, like, the 30s. And I delved deep into, like, those characters. The Norris and Williams were kind of, they'd be like, um, was it Marlon Williams on Above the Rim? Right, Rim? yeah. And they'd be like Bugging Out's character from Bugging, uh, from Above the Rim. Like, <laughs> they were wilding out, dude. They were like, oh, there you bastards and Bugging Out. Like, they were having a blast. Like, they were always dapping people up in the prison and, like, always getting in trouble and being like, yeah, I didn't look at that white girl, stuff like that. So I took that zaniness and thought about, like, well, how much fun can I have with this being such a depressing thing? But also trying to learn, like, pulp, like, recycled pulp that you used to make paper with. Um, it's ground-up coffee filters, basically. And when you dehydrate that, you get this, unique fibrous material that once you add it to a water-based like paint over time the grains will come together and settle and like harden so if i use it for hair over time like over about a year 
it'll flatten out and become like this perfect afro. Um, <laughs> it's really like there's, Yo, you know, that's it's dope. Yeah. <laughs> that's dope. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> but I build all the canvases because part of it's like I want to dress people up with denim and express what they were wearing. But I'm also don't want to fall into that category of being like, you know, Mr. Kalaji, you know, trying to decorate too much. Cause I know I can't, I ain't no fashion guy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I wear uniforms every day. Like chefs don't know anything about fashion for real, for real. <laughs> <laughs> I use it as a three dimensional aspect to draw the viewer in. But it's very passionate because a lot of that stuff I just rip off or like cut off my body during the moment, and that's a whole nother weird conversation, you know. I love it, man. I love it how you how you're approaching it. It's it's very unique the way it is because um, thankfully I did get to go down to Birmingham see your some of the pieces in person, and mm -hmm. the pictures don't really describe the the layering that you're talking about, like the texture of it that you're yeah. talking about because it can be like very extreme i think you're using like like actual denim like pants that you rip up and then you're using like aprons and then you're using yeah. like paper towels and so all of that stuff kind of creates this typography like underneath it and then you put the gesture strokes on top of it yeah yeah to tighten it all up like i outline after the fact and i glue first but i'm i'm, I'm i like to I know the pictures don't do much, but when you actually see it, you'll see fabric coming off almost six inches off the canvas. And, like, that's insane to me. It freaks me out. Like, I don't even know about <laughs> hanging this stuff in my house. <laughs> yeah, so is that what you're thinking? Like, when you're there, like, in your studio, surrounded by all this stuff, do you do you feel like it's too much or it's not enough? Like, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to... Uh, like draw that line, that distinction, because it's it's so not like what you see other people doing. Yeah, and that's that's uh, I've heard that a couple times, and that's made me happy. Like when I, I example, like I've never been to an art fair, and I went to Dallas Art Fair. You now before I went and saw my booth, I walked around. I was puffing that stuff. It was four twenty when I arrived, so you know what it is. <laughs> and I was like, "All right, is this, this gonna be the name of your episode. That was this episode yeah. will be called." <laughs> Y'all know what it is. Y'all know what it is. <laughs> it's the noise, baby. It's the noise. A different kind of noise. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about too. It's like I get that we're artists, and you know, I'm educated. I went to fuck. I went to school for it and all that stuff, but like. I am coming at you with like almost like a street like playing because of the way I work. Like I work in kitchens with people who go to jail like on the regular. Like I deal with people like hand in hand. I see hand in hand on a regular basis. Like it's just how I am. So I approach the art world the same way. And I feel like no, uh, uh, the pink people, as I will call them, um, I don't, I don't know how they I don't know how they take that. Like I don't know the professionalism of what you're supposed to give to be a black artist. When really it ain't about being black, it's just being who you are. It's just from a different demographic. Right. It's um it's very interesting. I'm loving it thus far. But I walked through the Dallas Art Fair and I was like, all right, everybody's got some good stuff, very good stuff. Then I get to my booth, I'm like, oh shit, you stand up. Like you can do this. Like you can talk about this. Like this works. Um and it, the texture describing that because that's what people want to see we want to hear about it they more more 
more so than they want to hear about the actual history or like the meaning behind the painting. They just want to know what I use. And when I describe where it comes from and how I use it to build up, you know, intent of the subject or just the imagery to actually draw you in, it's really funny to see their reaction. Because to me in the studio, I'm like, yo, I just laugh at it. I'm like, what am I doing? This is crazy. <laughs> 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 and it's only been, I mean, I found a piece at my mom's house uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I found a piece from that Rasta period I was talking about. Uh-huh. And it had mad collage work, like mad fabrics, like all kinds of stuff in it. And that was probably 25 years ago. So I was like, all right, I'm still coming back. Like, this is weird how it keeps rejuvenating. Like, all right, I can yeah. now I'm doing it a little bit tighter. Right. More straight. Yeah. More straight. But that, I, that's you, right? That's, that's you and your artwork. You know, you got to lean into it. You can't start painting like a Hende. I actually, I had to call and see what's wrong with you. <laughs> yo, man, I'd be like, Rusty, what are you doing? I'd be like, I, 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 talk to my assistant. Talk I know, it's like, assistant. yo, this guy switched a crack or something. Like, yo, man, you gotta put that stuff down, man. <laughs> it's easy to get influenced by some of your favorites. Though, oh yeah, you know? super easy, super easy. I, like, I, find I always want to bite them, but I don't, I don't bite any of them. I try not to, for real. Nah, that's what's up, man. And so, as you started this process and going through this journey. When when were you feeling comfortable enough to like put your artwork out as you're you're an artist as well as a chef? I mean, I kept it going. I would say it really hit me. I moved after grad school to then I moved to Portland, Oregon before Obama years and like went straight homeless. Like not super home like I was homeless in Oakland for a little while, but I was working at like one of the best restaurants in the country at the time. I would just park my car. I didn't have enough money to get an apartment, so I, I slept at a punk rock club. Wow. Yeah, for a year until I got enough money to get an apartment, and I was like, San Francisco, you can go away. I don't need you. So I moved away, but I'm glad I did it because it was a great restaurant at the time. Uh, Chez Panisse, shout out to Alice Waters. But when I moved to Portland, it's a weird city because they really support the arts, but it's like 6% African-American population at the time it was. So, like, I knew, I mean, I have, we were like the Wu-Tang Clan on that piece. Like, I had at least, like, 60 black friends, all rosters. <laughs> we were rolling hard and deep. But I couldn't really find a gig. It was the highest unemployment rate in the country at the time. Wow. So I was doing pop-ups what we do in the restaurant world. We, like, give food and have illegal dinner parties places, basically. And I was, they have this function called uh, Last Thursday in Alberta Street. And the city gives you like 40 blocks for anyone to pull up from 8 in the morning till 9 p.m. to sell artwork on the side of the street. So I would sell art to get my money for rent up and groceries. But also I do private dinners after that. So I would take all the people who bought my art and then I'd go into their house and like, you know, cook for them like a five to seven course meal wow and i'd be straight for like the month on money after like one day wow um so that's when it kind of combined each other because i'd always painted because i was in school but it was always just for school you know what i mean right but i always had shows i've been showing art since i was like 20 but like coffee shops a few galleries here and there nothing big big just like you know homie we call it nephew art. Like my nephew did that, like stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I 
You know what I'm talking about. Is that what you're talking about? Barbershop. Yeah. <laughs> Those flat face murals and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it was a hustle that I always enjoyed. My mom raised me, luckily in Chicago, like when if I got a good grade on a report card or something, she would take me to the museum to go look at Picasso's and stuff. Nice. I was always like a dork like that. I loved I loved art and music more than I loved anything. It's insane, dude. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I, I didn't. It's amazing how you still got to do it. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah, it's one Freaking thing. Like, yeah, it's one thing to like like it, but now it's like, like you're doing pretty pretty all right for yourself. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? it's actually working out. Like, yeah. I don't know. It took a while. I, I swear, it took me to have kids in order to put all this in focus. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, so you ever you ever meet those people that you that, that picked up them Roscoes off the side of the road? Like, man, like, there's yeah, we, we one. <laughs> there's one couple that bought at least thirty pieces from me. Wow, over, over like two years, and they are part of the Zhao Brothers in Chicago. Dude, I don't know where they are. I lost their email because they had like a Hotmail account or something, but. <laughs> Patrick and Mary, dude, they they got some. They got the best of my years right there. They got the best, like big wood panels. My grandmother's Haitian, so like I was really lost in the Haitian color palette. They got huge panels of baptism scenes and stuff. Stuff I cannot do. Like I, I've tried to go back to it. It doesn't look the same. Different times, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah. when you're broke, you paint <laughs> different. You know, like you, you're painting the struggle. It's the hunger. <laughs> it's the hunger. Yeah, the real, yeah. actual hunger from living on the yeah, side of the road. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> dude, I used to sell paintings off Craigslist in Portland. Wow. I'd open up my door and like let people run through, man. Isn't that crazy? Yo, that's but you know, I think that's a. I like it though because a lot of times you'll find more people that don't see a value in their art as compared to what yeah. you're talking about, where you know it has a value and you just need to do it. Even if you do it just to, cause I got to live off the street. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but, um, but that's a, a motivation to do it, to, to, to be in the studio, to, to gather up your materials, to, you know, find a wood panel, you know, even if I got to paint it on the side of this car, like mm-hmm. it, it's gotta be made. So I, I still love the idea that you used it as part of your hustle. Like you recognize your talent and then you put yeah. it to work to survive. Yeah, that's all I got. Now, painting, the older I get, I just had Achilles tendon surgery. I think you saw me. I was in a boot. Oh, yeah, booted up, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in a shoe now, so we're out here on these streets. Yeah, that's what's up, man. That's what's up. And so now, like, describe your approach um to going into it now, like, uh, you know, before, you know, it's a, it's a survival mechanism, recognize your talent. Like, like now you, you're in a much more comfortable place, I would think. And yeah. And yeah, how, so, so what's your, what's your mind state now as you go into the studio? I would say to be honest, and we we're talking about this a little bit earlier, it's really hard to not paint, um, history about African-Americans. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, that's where I'm at right now. Like I want to do that all the time, but I realize the more I've never really sold that many collectors within the, within the past few years. 
past two years, I've sold them more collectors than I ever have in my lifetime. And it feels great. Because I was like, who are you people? You know, I lived in New York, and I used to, like, stare at some of these people. They come to the restaurant, even. I feed, like, amazing artists, like, all the time. Jeff Koons, like, it was crazy. And none of my friends who I worked with knew, they know who any of these people are. But I feel like now when I attack the canvas, it's literally, sometimes I'm avoiding from getting out the voice of, like, what it means to be black in America. Um, and I'll tell the story of, like, the past, how it moved from then to now. But to be honest with you, it's flowing more than ever. The concepts are actually more thoughtful about where I came from. Um, it's hard not to be conceited with painting. I get that. So that's why I've always chosen, like, history and stories and reference points. But lately, I'm referring to myself on what I go through and how I want to share it. And that's been really cool. That's only been, like, within the past year. And I have yet to really show any of that. I have a show coming up. I'm about to show some of that. But, like, I usually do shows that I think people – I usually do a theme, you know what I mean? Like a mixtape. Mm-hmm. Like, I try and – you know, I paint for older black people. <laughs> Not anymore, though. Old black people, y'all need to sit down. Like, we got stuff to talk about. <laughs> I'm just joking. I love old black people. <laughs> nah, that's real, man. And so tell me a little bit about uh, some of those pieces. I mean, you had a show. You had to show yeah. Jerusalem Heights out, out at the Scott Miller Project. And that was kind yeah. of about your personal history and stories, stuff like that. That was huge. I'd never touched on anything like that. So my grandparents started a barbecue restaurant in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, in this neighborhood called Jerusalem Heights. The name of the road that the barbecue restaurant sits on is Jug Factory Road. <laughs> so what? Yeah. It's called Jug Factory Road? Jug Factory Road. Yo, Isn't that crazy? I love that name, yo. That's, <laughs> that's an amazing name. Dreamland. Yeah. The name of the barbecue restaurant is Dreamland Barbecue. It's Dreamland, in, yeah. Yeah, it started in 56. That's my grandfather. Um, still open, still going. There's about five to six of them throughout the southeast. But when I moved from Chicago, they moved me to Jug Factory Road on Jerusalem Heights. <laughs> and... The property is where my mother grew up, her brother, and where my grandparents lived, and they built us a house on the property. So every day I was seeing, like, restaurant life, because we lived behind the restaurant, and I was seeing, like, white people and, like, all walks of life just come and eat barbecue. And, you know, I was skateboarding and just staring at them with a Chicago attitude, smoking (laughs) weed, like... You know, my family sent me to a boarding school in Alabama that just so happened to be, like, the headquarters of the Ku Klux Klan for the state of Alabama. It's oh, Lord. Coleman, Alabama. It's horrible. It's probably, like, seven to ten brown students. All my friends are Filipino and black and white, obviously. So when I moved here, it got weird, you know. <laughs> it got real weird, but I started going to Tuscaloosa to, on the weekends. And I bring all my white friends with me. And I remember my grandfather walking through the back door of the restaurant. And he freaked out when he saw two white kids walk through the door. And I was like, you all right? And he was just like, yeah, I, just, I never thought I'd see the day where, like, my family hangs out. Like, this is pretty cool. I'm like, yeah. He was like, they're always customers to me. I never thought, like, 
we could be approached. I'm like, oh, man, that's awesome. And we stole all his ribs and had a good time, you know. He's still beer and everything. But Jerusalem Heights show, I never knew all that affected me until I started the first painting for it. And it was me coming from Chicago with dreadlocks, sitting on a skateboard and smoking a blunt, just staring at, like, mangy dogs and, like, customers and just dirty south listening to bugs and, like, cottonmouth snakes and red dirt mounds, that Alabama red clay, just thick. I was freaked out. (laughs) (laughs) But with that surroundings came, like, you know, it was a drug era. Like, my, you know, I did a piece called Uncle Johnny, who just passed away recently, actually. But this dude's been smoking crack since it was invented, I think. Like, he just went sober two months before he passed away. Wow. But I used to watch him and my dad, like, you know, hand-to-hand contact, like, switch off and smoke weed and smoke crack. Like, you know, it was... I saw every bit of a restaurant life. Um, I call that show for real a bad deal because I notice African Americans in the culinary world, a lot of people of different races and cultures are given a bad deal when it comes to starting a restaurant in this country. Like there's no, we didn't grow up with like business sense. Like we didn't have accountants and executives that talked to us and how to guide our lives. And like, you know, we recently going through that with Dreamland. My mom just caught a bad deal when she franchised the restaurant and like got stripped of like everything as of recently. Mm. And I see it happen to a lot of my friends too. It's just, you get caught a bad deal. Like we don't know how to operate, you know, like our generation does, you know what I mean? But like our parents, I mean, they didn't know how to run a business, not in like a dominantly white businessman world. So if someone's going to offer you something good, you're going to take it, not knowing the longevity of it, you know? Yeah. So that's what that show was about. It was about like really the culinary world, like, like the good times, the bad times, and all the dark demons within African American families, and like you know, drug addiction, and just you know, despair. Like just rough, old school. Like one of my cooks. I know I can't say the N word on here, but one of my cooks always says "real nigga shit." <laughs> <laughs> like straight up, man. It's just Jerusalem Heights is the thick of my. Uh, <laughs> It was a culture shock, dude. I barely even want to go there whenever I go home. (laughs) (laughs) It's sick, dude. Yeah, yeah. This is Jamel Wright Sr., abstract artist, living in Atlanta, GA. You're listening to Studio Noise. Yeah, but it's you know it's funny that even mentioning it is such a a throwback for, uh, for myself and a lot of people like even my wife like we grew up in the kind of same rural small town North Carolina like you know all the stuff you talk about is exactly what we did <laughs> exactly what we had to do yeah. you know what I mean like being out there like you know having people go through issues having family that's not all yeah. the way clean you know what I mean like all this kind of stuff all this stuff is hap- it happens. You know, it is, it's kind of a fabric of your life. Yeah, it's it's really, it's colorful. Right. You know? Yeah. It's very colorful. Like, and one thing I will say about 
brown people, we will make even the saddest moments like some of the funniest times in the world. You know? Yeah. Very colorful. Very, very colorful. I love that about the South. Like, it's dark. It's got some jacked up history. There's a lot of good changes, but man, it's colorful out here. Yeah, we can't. We yeah, we, I mean, what are we going to do? We can't die. So, <laughs> so we gotta do something. We we out here chilling. That's what we doing. Oh, that's real. That's what you hear too. Like, how you doing? We ain't gonna die. I mean, I, can't, I, I gotta keep it moving. I'm keeping it moving. <laughs> oh man, that's real talk right there, man. Yeah. So, so dude, um, I noticed in a lot of your paintings this kind of prison theme. Like, is, is oh, yeah. really, really a part of, like, all the stuff you're going. Tell me a little bit about where that comes from. Well, I got lost in the penal system for a while. Um, just, I had a show called um, Angola. It was about Angola State Prison in Louisiana. And I found that very appealing because they had, this is crazy, bro. They had one of the first, like, quasi-lead organic farms in the southeast, which is, like, a huge rarity. Um, cause it's so hot down here, but they were growing produce and giving it, taking, supplying all the other prisons within the Mississippi Delta. So I was like, yo, that's insane. Like this place, it was settled by Angola, slaves from Angola. And this is what they were doing. I'm like, yo, this is crazy. So I went down there, like got in contact with a bunch of people to understand like the food process, then brought that home and started realizing the story. They had like a museum about like, all the prisoners there and just those old Southern scary stories of plantations and like slavery. And I did a show in Huntsville at this place called Low Mills. That's an amazing venue um, as a intro to that. And yeah, it went pretty well. I mean, it was all about revolt. I'm a huge fan of revolt. I love how people take the power back. I love how people try and get power. Um, brown people and stuff like that. Not, not the other people, but like that was the focus. And since then, I just got lost deeper into it, man. I just couldn't put it down. There was one piece that was originally at the Dallas Art Fair last year in December that was amazing. It was like almost like a 15-foot piece. Um, I loved it. It had nine different prisoners in it. And it was all about, and man, it's usually about people who don't need to be there. Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. like, I'll study prisoner and get lost in their story where they came from. And, you know, they were not, they were innocent. And they're just sitting there. Because you got to think about after, like, that 15-year mark that you've been in there, it kind of becomes home almost. Right. You know? Yeah. So you, yeah, I, I think about, like, what is, you know, you know, you wake up and say good morning to someone you love at your house. Like, how does that feel? Like, I think about the interiors, like, what they stare at that makes them, like, feel good. There's not a lot of color theory, you know. It's just, like you're living off people's colors. Um, it's weird. It's very interesting, like. So through that, I try to bring a bunch of life in such a dark subject and slightly a little bit of humor. Um, that was the best. I've never sold a piece before the past two years before, like, more than, like, $5,000. I sold that piece for the most I've ever sold in my life. And that made me realize that I could probably do this um, for real. But then I'm like, another me being a punk rock kid, it's like, I'm painting a bunch of black people in prison. I know any number of white people are going to see this. Uh, so who are you? Like, who's buying this? <laughs> I want to meet you. <laughs> yeah, and you and that out. means they see past it. You know what I mean? That means yeah. they see past They 
see the art. They see the technique in it. And that's, to me, that's the biggest accomplishment more than the money, you know? Yeah, sharing, sharing okay. the stories, yeah. Mm-hmm. Always. That's what's up, man. Tell me, tell me a little bit about how you approach color when you're doing mm-hmm. stuff. Because uh, you, it's it's not a traditional thing, but it 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 has a method to it. So tell me yeah. about it. I approach color through motion and vibration. I used to be a DJ, a reggae DJ. Yeah, yo, how I, many different jobs you gonna bring up on this podcast hey, that you used to do, man? You used to do hey, everything, hey. bro. <laughs> West Love can't have it all. West Love can't have it all. Okay. Yeah, that's what's up. I'll go man. on record with that. I'll go on record. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> no, I approach. I used to be a reggae DJ, and the vibrations from sound systems, like you stack up, like you know, like 10 speakers behind you and drop your vinyl down, like boom, 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 and just rock it. Yeah. I feed off of that, the way it makes your skin feel, like just constant movement. Because when you paint people or anything, like we're in this world, man, we're just vibing, like we're distorted and everything. Like that's just the way I look at it. I like it loose. I like some of it to be super, super thick. I love the color pink. I love copper. I just go off, man. I have a party. That's my fun part. Like, sketching's fun, but, like, when I get to play with colors, even if they don't go together, oh, man, come on. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of that comes from cooking, too, because, like, people eat with their eyes. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. They eat with their eyes. If you see something that don't look good, you ain't going to eat it. I mean, you may eat it, but, like, and it could be good sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> some of y'all, some of y'all do it. I don't. I, I, try, to, I try to do it like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but I love, like, color theory is probably one of the coolest things. I'll brag about another job, too. I once got to work as a colorist for um, Chihuly. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Like, they were paying people just to do watercolor samples to, like, build his next pieces. And it was, like, $25 a day, practically. <laughs> <laughs> this is 2002. It, it was not a lot of money, but to me, I was dorking out because of what he was doing, you know? What, what was the project? Was Santa Fe. Uh, he was doing a, sham, a bunch of chandeliers for Bellagio. Oh, wow. In Las Vegas. Wow. And I got to work on the color theory of it. I met a bunch of people in Portland who did color theory um, samples for Adidas. Yeah. Wow. That's a whole gig. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> I like it. I you like mix, it. like, like um, Kerry James Marshall, like, making all the colors of blacks, like, and grays. Yeah. Like, you would do that for him, basically. You would do it for Julie, and he'd come through and pick, like, what would make sense. You know? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what really got me into color. That and living out out west, like, I noticed different region by region, like, the painters use different colors. Like, yeah. New York, it's old. It's a lot of primary. You know what I mean? Yeah. In the south, it's, like, ochre-ish. Lots of yellow ochre, burnt sienna kind of vibe. Yeah. But out in the out southwest, west, like, yeah. Yeah, out west, like, Pacific Northwest and San Francisco, they're using pink and gray and sage. I'm like, what, what, what? I didn't even know. What, what? Like, I love reason to reason color palettes, too, because you can trick people, you know? I love it. 
That's what's up, man. Like the Bloods and the Crips, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's where it started. Yeah. <laughs> like color theory for the gangs. <laughs> Gang theory. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so tell me, tell me a little bit more about um, like your latest round of work that you got going on. Like all the stuff that you, well, I, I'll tell you about this. Tell me about the Dallas Art Fair. Like, because I've, oh, I've, I've never been to a fair. Um, mm-hmm. I've never been in a fair, like included in a fair. Mm-hmm. And so tell me how it felt for you to like get that moment where like you were doing like a lot of this little stuff, but now, you know, you find that almost the kind of success that would make you consider not cooking. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it definitely has. Like it's humbled me in the best way. Dallas offered with me. Was, I normally when I show my artwork, just like food. When I cook a great meal, the audience is always white. You know, it's like the pinkest audience. They're, they're gracious people. They love it all. And they buy it. It's great. But, and even the people who work around me are the same way, but Dallas art fair, was the first time in 20-something years that I've shown art where I talked to, like, over 20, you know, African-American artists, like, contemporary. At that, from Abby to Vita, Junebug, like, so many great people who it humbled me so hardcore because they got it before I even said it. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, that was the thing about Dallas Art Fair. Like, people who came to my booth, like, they either knew who I was talking about by the title or they just understood the subject matter and wanted me to explain like the, the materials used and the color palette used and the format basically. And that was really, really cool. Like, cause that was, a, I mean, that wasn't, a, it was an international art fair for real, for real. Like, I mean, the galleries that pushed the most besides LA and New York are all Milan and like Germany and everywhere. And like, you know, it's crazy. <clears throat> week before that, I work in pizza right now. My homie opened up a pizza spot like 10 years ago. So I'm running those for him. But I went to the International Pizza Festival. And it's a convention in Las Vegas the week before I went to Dallas Art Fair. And that was crazy because you had people from Jersey and like everywhere like dealing with pizza. But you went to the very back aisle of the Pizza Expo and it was all quiet. You smelled cigarettes and there was a bunch of dudes wearing suits. And I look around and I'm like, what's going on back here? And they're selling like grains of flour you know because that's what pizza is all about is flour like who has the cheapest grain who has the best grain it's ancient like the whole history of it so i'm like yo this is trippy it's crazy international now i go to dallas art fair it's in dallas i'm already got one focus towards texas i'm like what's going on with y'all and then i get there and it's all love like i met you know i got i was able to show my work to people who were interested in like you know germany and like france of course, like more in LA. I mean, I I got to meet Avita Tizano, 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 Tizano. There we go, there we go. Um, and I've been a fan of hers forever, like forever since the jazz was supposed to, like wow. way back, yeah. bro. Yeah. Like I couldn't. I was like, yo, I like I saw you. Know, we saw each other like three times. It was great. <laughs> we talked about you like one point in my booth, like fifteen to twenty people all talking about your podcast because I had heard because so many people had been on it, bro. Yeah. Like they were all like, "I'm on my way out to LA tomorrow for my exhibition." It was just like 
I was like, yo, this is approachable. I could probably do this, like, for real. Like, I think I can do this. And people were like, yeah, you're doing it now. I'm like, what? You know what I mean? Like, I'm still, I'm wrestling, man. I'm on the grind and hustle still just to make sure. I don't know, I don't know if I'm still trying to, like, keep my feet in both because the food industry is at its worst period it's ever been since I've been cooking. And it's hard to let go at a time of struggle for it. Mm-hmm. But I see the focus of me, my family, like my kids want me to paint. They tell me to go paint. My wife does too. Like she supports it. Like she knows that this is probably the way to make our family like put them in the best spot is for me to continue to paint and like just focus on it. And that, that just feels weird, bro. Like, I, I, I mean, it's everything I've ever wanted. You know, only reason I went to art school because I wanted to design like album covers and like CD covers. Cause when you're a kid, that's all you drew from. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like I used to draw Jordans and like, you know, all kinds of album covers, like Arrested Development, all kinds of stories, but Wu-Tang covers. I just wanted to be that guy. You know, a lot of my favorite artists are the people who made a lot of reggae album covers from back in the day. I right, love Emily yeah. Douglas as well. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, it's just, I'm really into that style. Even though I don't make that kind of art, but it's like, it was fun. It was slackness, you know. I call it real slack. Like, it was straight slack art. It was real chill, and there was no pretension behind it. But, yeah, Dallas humbled me up, bro. It made me realize my focus has to be a little bit stronger and it also made me realize I need to learn how the business part of this, because they don't teach you that in art school. Uh, uh, they no don't, yeah. Dad, uh, but you know, I didn't. I didn't hear any of my my friends who were going to Basel in 2008. They were like punk rockers. They didn't really know what they were doing either. You know, like I don't know what I'm doing um, financially with it. I don't really know how to put myself out there and approach like. I hear one thing from artists tell me that you shouldn't do certain things to get your work out there. And other people are like, yeah, do whatever you can. But I'm also not trying to be out here trying to like hustle, like hand to hand with my artwork. I'm not trying to do that. Like, and I also know I can't expect it to come at me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I got to trust in people to put it out there and like back it up with who I am. I think that's the <laughs> I think that's the good thing about having this podcast is to have conversation with people like you and you do get to see all the different ways that it can happen because there is no one a no there's no one way to do it and there's no right yeah. answer to it either like everybody's going to yeah. be like completely different how they do it like you talk about Abby Abby was Abby's a great story because yeah. Abby's journey is not the journey I'm ever going to have. <laughs> See, not even, I'm not you know, at no, all. you know what I mean? So it's like, so, yeah. but, but hearing that as a possibility is a possibility for somebody else. Yeah. And you can just take what you can from it and just apply it to your situation the best you can, you know? Yeah. That's all you can do. And it works. Like when it works, it's amazing. Right. Amazing. To see. Like it clicks naturally. And that's where I'm at now. It's freaking me out. Like I can go to the studio. I mean, I work a lot at the restaurant, but when I get a chance to go to the studio, I can sit down for two hours and complete something if I wanted to, but like, it just feels that good. Like I feel more at home. I want to be doing it all the time. I have a sketchbook in every room in my house. I paint, I'm painting in my car right now. Like while we're talking. Oh, that's what's up, man. I, like, I, I gotta get it. it in. I love like, it. That's the only way I can do it, man. I can't, 
it's crazy right now out here, bro. Like, people, America is, is, ah, it's the public, you know, public enemy used to talk about America in this way. Like, it's, I didn't avoid it. Because my dad put me hip to it growing up around, like, five percenters and stuff. But, like, man, right now, I mean, I haven't felt this disarrayed uh, on a regular basis and trying to keep kids, like, I mean, my daughter's seven, so about seven or eight years ago is when the first, like, police brutality thing was on Instagram, I think, right? Oh, it was a lot. <laughs> that was, yeah. That was, yeah, that may have been the one you noticed. But it, it's, yeah, it's yeah, I know. Yeah. That, was, that was a big one. And since she's grown up, it's been like every, you know, year. Like her idea of cops is see her off the jump, mm. you know? And that's not, I mean, I was scared of the cops when I was a kid, but I definitely wasn't like scared of them. You know what I mean? Like, right, yeah, yeah. But you you didn't know. Like, you know, nobody uh, nobody knew. It was just kind of, the stuff we talked about in in secret, you know what I'm saying? Your uncle's whisper yeah, to yeah, yeah. stuff like yeah. that. But now you get to get to you know open up your phone and see it whether you want to see it or not. Yeah, it's overload, and and every day the more every week something more tragic goes on, and all I can do is sketch and stay in my head and like keep creating my world and what I want that to look like, and also constantly learning. Like I'm trying, I listen to your podcast. I'll listen for technique notes and I'll dork out over technique forever. Like right now I'm looking at ballet books, you know, ballet. Yeah. I'm trying to learn like form and texture, mm. like, like how the movement of it and the gracefulness of it and how I can stand still without a background, even like just, yeah, I'm dorking out, dude. I'm a dork. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you I walk to a it. restaurant and see a brother looking at a ballet book. <laughs> In a, in a boot. <laughs> in a boot. <laughs> like, what is going on with the South? Yeah. It's different out here, yo. Just, just leave. Just walk they right out. You just walk right out, man. Don't trust yeah, it's the It's different food. out here, yo. Different out here. <laughs> so I'm, I'm assuming that uh, the sketchbook work kind of inspired kind of this new round of stuff that you got released, man. I see a lot of, like, sketch kind of looking stuff from you mm-hmm. like are these are they smaller than your your larger paintings because oh, oh yeah. i guess we gotta talk about scale a little bit too like yeah some of the some of the stuff you're doing is huge and i think these Massive. sketches look much more um i don't know i don't want to say like a comfortable size but it, it's much mm-hmm. smaller size yeah they're super small i did it when i had the surgery last year i had to be laid up in the house for like seven weeks man and like that's cold stone, like nothing. I couldn't do nothing. I didn't want to watch TV. I was mopey. But Scott <laughs> Miller, he dropped off like seven sketchbooks, and I filled out probably five. Oh, wow. Yeah. You filled up five yeah. in like them weeks? Yeah, and I was oh, medicated. Man, was getting it. I yeah. was medicated. Yeah, I was on that stuff. I mean, I had all day. I was on pain pills and like just going drinking kombucha and just going off like, some of it's funny. Some of it's like whacked out, like flavor, flavor style. And some of it's very intricate. You can see a lot of good studies in it. But he took all of them <laughs> um, <laughs> and framed them. And so the show opened probably three weeks ago. And I, when I went, 
I was like, yeah, I haven't seen any of these. Like, what are these about? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> it, was, it was your work. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what is this? Yo, this oh. wow. Yeah, this wow. <laughs> 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 like, what is that? I'm nervous. What am I doing? Oh, man. I said all oh, kinds man. of stuff about the restaurant industry. There's like lots of notes to the culinary world and like America. I was on my horse. I was crazy, but I'm, I'm glad I've never had a, uh, show with just sketches and I dig that because sketching I'm better at that than I am uh, I'm better at expressing myself through sketching than I am painting because painting you know I look at a sketch like it's mine mm. and I look at the canvas like it could be someone else's ah, I like that you don't want to like <laughs> get all weird on <laughs> <laughs> I like that man I like that so that's what's up, man. So now, now is that where you see yourself going? Like, do you see a new mix handling happening? Because I, I think about that a lot where I look at my sketchbook. My sketchbooks are completely different than my prints. And yeah. so I'm, I'm I'm always looking for a way. Like, how can I get that same sense of, I guess, it's freedom. But the freedom comes with privacy because I know yeah. that, like you said, this is for me. Like, I know I'm doing it in all these little notes, this little squiggle. I can see a complete figure in a background and environment and all you see is like some squiggles, but I understand yeah. it's like shorthand for yourself. Um, yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm always trying to look and imagine if there's a way for me to bring that kind of looseness and freedom into my print work. But mm-hmm. when I start doing print work, I'm always thinking more technical and I'm always adding that technical aspect into it. Um, and so it, it, I think it disrupt that technical aspect disrupts the freedom. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, no, like no, it's almost no, impossible no. to it's almost impossible to get the same kind of uniqueness in line that I'm looking for. Yeah, it's like that rhythm that you have when you sketch, like that hand motion that you do on a regular. It's like me and a knife. Like, like the way I work that wrist when it comes to time to paint, unless I put it at an angle where I can work like that, like. It ain't going to happen. You're going to get more of a freer form, mm-hmm. a longer approach. Like, it's just different to where sketching. I can just dig deep. I can put it all this in my face and just go, you know? You got an eraser, you blowing on it and stuff, looking like a fool covered in, like, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right now, I'm doing charcoal on canvas mixed with acrylic, and I'm loving the finish of it after I spray the charcoal with the fixative and then paint next to that. Add more charcoal to outline. Oh, buddy. That's a fun time. That is a fun time. That's dope. I'm loving that. <laughs> <laughs> That's dope. And so, so man, we have, have to trade sketches at some point, man. Like, give, yeah. give me some of them Roscoe Halls in the, in the house. Uh, I'll send you a whole book. It'll be funny, too. <laughs> I'll pass. Bang. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what's up, man. I love it, man. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. Tell me, tell me this. Since then we talk about a podcast, we're going this is just random questions because we had to end the interview now. Random questions. Right. Who got the best barbecue? Ooh, buddy. You now I'm I'm coming to the expert. Like this is the man right yeah. here. He 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 worked he was uh what were you doing at Rodney's? You were the pit master. The pit master at Rodney's. You this guy know what he's talking about, y'all. Y'all yeah, get your, your pencils out, make a note. All right, yeah, he about to tell you. Right. He about to give you the secret sauce right now. Go ahead, Roscoe. <laughs> tell him, tell him what it is, Roscoe. I'll say best sauce is the original recipe of Judd Factory Road. 
Uh, Dreamland. <laughs> there you go. Yes, you can't beat it. But I will say best ribs, hands down, is Rodney Scott's. And I don't work there no more, but Rodney's my homie. I talk to him often. Uh, he's Those ribs, boy, I mean, it's expensive, but the way they're treated, it's the reason why he won the James Beard Award. Like, nah, that's what's up, yeah. Yeah, you can I, put them on a white plate, and it'll be the most fine dining meal you've ever had. That's what's up. I went out there when I went out there to Sanford. I went out there with Rodney's. It was it was delicious. Oh, you did? Yeah, it was it was great. It was great. I can't wait to go back. Actually, I'm gonna be there this summer. Got my man. Oh, really? Yeah, I got my, they're having a print show at Sanford. Oh, nice. Uh, cool. A, a paperwork show at Sanford, and they got my man Rico Gaston is opening oh, Rico. show up, up in um up at the Birmingham Museum. Yeah, he's doing a show at uh, Scott Miller's too. Yeah, yeah, there you go. See, you got to come in town for that. Holla at my man. See what see what's up. Oh, dude, so, I haven't met him it. yet. He's seen my work and I heard he dug it. Word on the street is I heard he dug it. So I'm trying to meet this dude because I got to speak. He's talking about color. Oh, dude. yeah. Yeah, he's a man. Yeah, I got to get Rico on his on the podcast too, yo. Yeah, he is sharp, bro. Sharp. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. All right, so more, more random questions, yo. You got one meal for yeah. your life. What are you going to eat? Oh man, uh, salmon croquettes, white rice, and uh, biscuits. <laughs> I love it. Simple, man. Country boy. <laughs> I love you know, it. No, that's one of the best, man. Salmon croquettes, buddy. And so now you keep experimenting. What's a what's a technique that you would want to do that you haven't tried yet? Well, uh, painting. Anything or art, uh, just in art? terms of art making, art making, period. Um, because yeah, I'm gonna tell you this I think when I think about your, your work, I think a lot about folk artists, and yeah. uh-huh. folk artists are so free in terms of how they're using materials and building stuff, and even the representations that they have of people. Because mm-hmm. I think we, as art school people, <laughs> can, yeah. can we stick to the fundamental rendering? too much yeah. and that we lose oh, well. like a lot of that sensation that happens when you, you're just making things just to make things but mm-hmm. but anyway i just wanted to throw that out so what what, no, you, no, you no, say you wanna, what, you, what do you want to try i want to get into sculpture which goes into the folk thing i'm surrounded by you know i did my thesis on like basically that book last the last folk hero i'm surrounded by like folk art land like i go to joe mittner's african village as much as possible but I'm really lost in sculpture, and, you know, I'm working on this process right now. I'm trying to learn how to bend and mold plexiglass mm. and make court containers. You know about court containers? No. You get them from takeaway. You get, like, soup in them, like hot and sour soups in your yeah, yeah. little cup. So in the kitchen, we use those religiously. That's how we organize things. That's our mixing class. In my studio, that's what I use to mix my paint and keep my paint in. But, like, the core containers mean so much to me. And chefs in the kitchen world, we bottle up so emotion of, like, anger and despair and all kinds of creative issues into those core containers because they're all used for prep items. Um, so my next project that I want to get lost into this summer, I got a bunch of shows to paint for. But while I'm doing this, I'm about to work on a cookbook and – the artwork for that cookbook is going to be these core containers, these sculptures. Wow! Um, so that's what I'm that's what I'm going to do next. I don't know how to do it, and I don't have a studio. <laughs> I work out of my garage, 
but we're gonna figure this out. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. The garage is the scene of the crime. That's what's up, man. I love yes. it. Yes, <laughs> man. Tell them, tell everybody where they can find you, man. You can find me at Artistic Misfits on IG, and I think like other than that, I don't have a website yet. I mean, you know, y'all, y'all don't be judgmental. I'm on my way. <laughs> I'm on my way. There's gonna you be ain't more. You got no website, man. Come on, man. I don't have a website. I'm out here looking foul. Like, yo, <laughs> I'm in my car. <laughs> yeah, you're you doing too good for this, man. You're doing too good to be looking like this, man. <laughs> I know. Somebody asked me at Dallas. The homeboy had a QR code, a business card. Oh. Uh, I was like, he was like, what you got? I was like, um, <laughs> you know, your Instagram. You got to get a piece of paper. Like, you got a piece of paper? I can't you. I can't see you right there. You hit me on my page, you know. I mean, I'm going to get it together. I'm getting it together. No, man, we, we with you, man. We with you. You the fam now, man. We with you, man. We going to help you out, man. We're going to get this guy right. Yo. Appreciate you coming on podcast, man. It's been oh, a lot of fun. Much respect. Much respect, Javal. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the bag. Big shout out to Roscoe Hall coming on the podcast. Definitely appreciate you, bro. Next week, Black Abstract Artist Reggie LeVrunt on the podcast. I'm going to keep giving to you nice and good. All my artists out there. Art is just like a fine recipe. There's certain steps you follow. You do this and that gets you that. You do that. Well, art is like a recipe but it's no it's no recipe baby it ain't no way to do it it's just you in the studio making noise that's all you need baby yes it's your boy jay barber see y'all next week peace thank you for listening to the studio noise podcast subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise follow us on instagram at studio noise podcast